Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of God of all ages, welcome to the City Place Church Podcast. Wherever you are in the world, we thank you for making the time to tune in. Take a moment to get focused, clear your mind, close your eyes, open your heart, and receive what God has for you on this day. Hey everybody, good morning. I hope that you are excited and ready to dig into God's Word today. I'm super excited about what the Lord wants to speak to us, and I am praying sincerely right now that you are preparing your hearts to lean all the way in this morning. In fact, let me pray for us as before we kick off and get rolling, rolling up our sleeves, getting our notes ready. Father God, I thank you for meeting us here today. I pray that you would meet us right where we're watching, right where we are. I pray, God, that you would remove every distraction and that you would speak clearly in our ears and our eyes and our hearts would be open in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am so excited to see you, City Place. I feel like it's been a hot minute since we've seen each other, but here we are this morning ready to worship God. I know that there's been so much happening in the life of our church, and I hope that you've been able to take a part of it, but particularly this morning, I'm excited about meeting with God. You know, a couple of, of months ago, I was kind of thinking through all of the things that it takes uh, to, to be in the family of God and to have the partnership that we are so excited uh, to have as sons and daughters. And one of the things that, um, that I was thinking about was our time in Israel. Pastor and I, a couple of years ago, had the opportunity to travel to Israel where we spent a, a little bit of time investigating the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, uh, the believers that are there situated. And there's a couple of things that we're gonna encounter today. We're gonna jump into the scenes of scripture and it's making my heart come alive because of what I remember from being in that wonderful land. If you have your Bibles, I want you to crack it open. And by the way, I hope that you have already downloaded the notes, cityplacechurch.com backslash notes. They are there and waiting for you to help serve as a guide today. Perhaps this will feel like a very familiar scripture. We are going to dive into something that feels and looks familiar. In fact, if you've been in church any amount of time, maybe you've even grown up with this in Bible school, you've heard about it in kids' church, but I promise you that God is going to give us a different spin on a very familiar passage today as we read his word. Will you join me in Mark chapter 8? Now we're going to spend a little time in scripture. I'm going to give you that heads up, disclaimer, disclaimer. We're going into his word because we need to actually lay some groundwork and see what God would have to say. This is the story of Jesus feeding the multitudes, but it's not what you think. Let's start in Mark chapter eight, and together we're gonna to be reading beginning in verse one. During those days, another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? So how many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they did so. And then they had a few small fish as well, and he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 
About 4,000 men were present and having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the, to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven and he sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. And then he left them to get back into the boat and crossed over to the other side. Just a little bit more beginning in verse 14, it says this, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this one with another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. So when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? And they answered seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? Now I had an interesting time in this scripture because when I first read it, I thought, oh, this is just a redo of the Jesus feeding 5,000. In fact, maybe historians even kind of got it wrong a little bit and they merged some stories together. Their minds didn't serve them. But in scripture, this is why I love the word of God. We actually see just a few chapters prior in Mark chapter six, where it records Jesus feeding the 5,000. But then two chapters later, we see this story of Jesus feeding 4,000. Now, the number didn't go up. It didn't create a fanfare. It didn't create a fuss. In fact, for most intents and purposes, many of us don't even talk about Jesus feeding the 4,000. We talk about the scripture of Jesus feeding 5,000, but we don't even talk about the fact that he fed 4,000. Now, of course, men are the only ones counted in this story, so we believe that Jesus actually fed far more than that as they were there on the mountainside. Why is this scripture so important? I was reading it uh, a while ago and I felt like the Holy Spirit arrested me and said, lean into that scripture further. There's more for you to actually uncover. It's not simply a redo. In fact, most places in scripture, we actually see that Jesus doesn't do the same miracle twice or he doesn't do it the same way. So even when Jesus is healing someone, healing the blind, for example, one time he might spit on somebody, the other time he might lay his hands on somebody, and another time he might speak the word, he's so creative that he doesn't quite do the same miracle twice. But yet it seems as though we see him doing sort of the same thing. So what are we to make of this? It's rare that we see this kind of unique nature of God, but I wrote down a couple of differences between when Jesus fed the 5,000 and when he fed the 4,000. When he fed 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, he had five loaves, two fish, and he got that from who? A little boy in the crowd. And he said to him, hey, young man, what do you have in your hand? Well, I have five loaves and two fish. When Jesus fed the 4,000 in the scripture that we just saw, he had no little boy with a basket of plenty to ask. In fact, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, what do you have? I love this dichotomy because Jesus doesn't look for whatever's left over. He doesn't do things that are consequential. He's actually looking to his leaders now. And he said, I don't want it from them. I want it from you. 
See, this passage of scripture is not for the unbeliever. It is not Jesus uh, talking about what happened there on the mountain. It's not him talking over how he uh, taught these people for the, the three days prior. This is a lesson that Jesus is giving to his closest followers. In fact, Jesus feeds the 4,000 and then he turns to his disciples and says, let's chat. So we're wise to lean into what is happening in this scripture. And when Jesus feeds the 5,000, the concern is money. In fact, his disciples say, where are we going to get money to feed all these people here on the mountainside? And when Jesus feeds the 4,000, the concern is not money. It's Jesus. We are so far away from the town. We are so remote. I don't know how you are going to do this. When Jesus feeds the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6, it says that he has compassion on the people because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And when Jesus feeds the 4,000, it says that he is moved with compassion because of a natural need, physical hunger, that perhaps if sent home, the people would collapse on their way. We see some differences between these two scriptures, but then we have to lean in to say why and what would the Lord have us understand about this particular instance? When I began to read this scripture, it wasn't until uh, just a while ago that the Lord actually prompted me and when he was telling me to look further and said that this chapter is actually about blindness. But it's not a healing chapter. It has nothing to do with blindness. But in fact, this chapter has everything to do with blindness. And if we read it and stand back just after Jesus performs this miracle, he is going to be working in a town called Bethsaida, where he actually performs a, a miracle where he lays his hand on a blind man. And in that town, Jesus physically heals somebody of blindness. And the Holy Spirit said, keep reading. So when I reread this scripture of Jesus feeding the 4,000, we uncover this interesting conversation that he has with his disciples. As he's leaving the town and the Pharisees have asked Jesus for a sign, they say, hey, uh, we've forgotten to, uh, to do all the things and we really want to ask you some questions, Jesus. Good job. For multiplying the loaves. Good job for giving everybody something to eat. Why don't you give us a real sign? The Pharisees are in essence asking Jesus for a show, as if his miracles and what he does and who he is isn't quite good enough. Now I want to separate here for a moment and wonder if you and I can relate. All things aside, I know that we are, you know, in the day and time that we're not necessarily Pharisees, that we're not necessarily um, anti-God, but perhaps you and I will sometimes ask the Lord, say, I, I need you to do something big in my life. I need a sign. I need a wonder. I need you to do something special so I can know and hear you. Have you ever been there? Have you ever actually asked God for something or prayed a prayer and said, God, I need to see you, but I need you to do it big. If I'm going to know your will, I need you to open up the sky. I need you to turn it blue. I need you to make purple stars fall down from heaven. And Jesus looks at these Pharisees and says, you've got to be kidding. I am not here to give you a show. In fact, the living God is standing before you. I am in human flesh and you have the audacity to ask me for a demonstration. 
The Bible says that he sighs and says, nothing will be given to you. And it, it makes perfect sense that, that Jesus would be annoyed, would be frustrated because he was not the God who came down, one, to receive all the glory for his time on earth, and two, to be a, a sort of street performer, a magician, if you will, for the people who weren't going to believe anyways. And then he got in the boat and he said this, do not become like those Pharisees and do not become like Herod. People who want to take my power and take my glory and to perform a show so that we can see. And then he turned to his disciples and he asks a series of questions. I wanna lean into three of those questions because they best summarize what Jesus is asking of his disciples. I believe these three questions are the very questions that will lead us in to the heart of God. The first question that he asks is where, uh, excuse me, it says, uh, are your hearts hardened? In verse 17, it says, what are you talking about with that bread? And do you not still see or understand? And are your hearts hardened? Remember, Jesus is talking not to the Pharisees right now. He's actually talking to his disciples. He's actually talking to the people that he loves. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to people who haven't walked with him. He's not talking to just the people in the countryside. He's talking to his disciples and asks, still that group, are your hearts hardened? Are your hearts hard? Is there some callous? Is there places in your heart that is supposed to be living and soft and pliable, one that feels me, that has the emotions like I do? Are there places in your heart that have been hardened. Now this is an important question for you and I. I would love to say that this is just a question for the disciples, but it's simply not true. The question is for us too. Are your hearts hardened? Because in order to hear my word, in order to seek my face, in order to perform and do and be the people that I've called you to be, you're going to have to have pliable, soft hearts. You see, God talks in scripture about this idea of having a hard heart. And it's one of the things that is a deal breaker to him. There's a couple times in scripture, in fact, where we see hard hearts as an issue. We see the time where Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Uh, Moses comes to him and says, let my people go. And the Bible says that Pharaoh's heart is hard and says, no way. In this moment, God is so displeased with Pharaoh that he brings a series of plagues uh, over he and his family. He, he, he does things to get Pharaoh's attention and he says this, that hard heart is detestable to me. Then we see where the Bible talks about the Israelites, his own people, having hard hearts as they walked around in the desert. His kids, I love God, I'm waiting for God, but I can't stand that he's not showing up for me. The Bible says that they wandered for 40 years. You know the story. It also attributes this action of waiting in the desert because of their hard hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, our hearts are deceitful above all things. So what happens when this muscle that is so natural, but so spiritual becomes hardened to the ways of God? You know, from a biological perspective, and I'm no expert in this, that biologists tell us and uh, medical professionals tell us that the, the actual heart muscle 
is able to be heartened, but they are still uh, a little unsure of why that happens. Our physical muscle of the heart has the ability to physically get hard. Now, oftentimes, uh, medical professionals will tell us that it's because of trauma or prolonged disease or even the signs of aging. But the point is that our physical muscle can actually become calcified. And when that happens, it doesn't perform its functions, it doesn't pump blood, and it's no longer useful. And the same happens to us spiritually. Over the last couple of weeks, Pastor's been talking about uh, this idea of how we return our bodies, how we return our will back to the Lord. And one of the things that he has so courageously brought us is the standard, God's standard of what it looks like when we choose willingly to know God's ways, to want to follow God, but actually choose to say, I'm not going to do that. When we accept a life of sin, which is defined as missing the mark, uh, and, and, and look at God in his face and say, thanks, but no thanks, or to know the way of God, to know the standard of God, and to say, you know what? I think I get a free pass on that. When we have these behaviors and conversations and, and things about us, the Bible tells us that it is those conscious actions that begin to harden our spiritual hearts. You see, here in Mark 8, Jesus is not actually talking about physical blindness as much as he is about spiritual blindness. So when he asks the question, are your hearts hardened? He's asking a spiritual question. And I wonder this morning if you and I would have the same heart conversation, if we could say, is my heart hard in any way towards the things of God? Ezekiel 36, 26 says this. It's a promise from the Lord, but it takes some action on our part. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. One of the things that we can, uh, ways that we can honor God is to both hear him and experience him and immediately act in response to what he would have for us. When we hear the word and experience the word and don't reject it, but accept it, dive full in and say, God, whatever, whatever you need and want from me, I will obey and I will alter my life to fit it. This is what pleases God. So let's jump back in Mark 8 because Jesus asks the disciples, are your hearts hard? See, just a few verses earlier, he said, hey, boys, come on, let's have a huddle. Let's have a quick conversation. What do you have? You got some bread? Cool, I have compassion on these people. He literally tells them, I want you to know what I see. I want you to know what my heart is right now. My heart is to have compassion. But their first response is, but Jesus, we're so far away from everything. It's an inconvenience. We don't have what we need. There's too many people. We're far away. It'll take a long time. And Jesus is saying, yo, they can't leave anywhere lest I leave a bunch of people flailing all over the road. I'm already telling you, boys, I have compassion. I want you to join with me where my heart is for my people and get in my business instead of doing your own thing and freestyling. I wonder how many times you and I have said, yeah, 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 God bless me. Where in my endeavors, in my programs, in my job and doing my things, God bless this. Instead of figuring out, God, where is your heart? And let me align with it. 
You know, this morning I ask you the question, are your hearts hardened in any way related to the things of God? The second question that Jesus asks the disciples is, is kind of a long question, okay? In English, this would be like a run on sentence, but it's really not. He says this, do you have ears, have eyes, but fail to see and ears, but fail to hear? Do you have eyes, but fail to see and ears, but fail to hear? Now this verse, this kind of sentence, this phrase is found many times throughout scripture. We hear as Jesus says, this generation will not understand me. I have to speak in parables because they have eyes to see and ears to hear, but they're not using what they got. You know, there's probably no greater disappointment than times where you and I have the ability, where we have the full functionality of everything God has given us, but we step into a situation and we have eyes to see and we have ears to hear, but we don't use it. I wonder what it's like to have a muscle like vision, to have ears that have the ability to hear God, but we don't choose to use it. Can you imagine having conversations with somebody with your ears plugged? Can you imagine having the kind of conversation where you are only talking but not hearing? We have eyes to see, we have ears to hear, but we don't use it. I wonder how many times Jesus would say, you have eyes to see. I gave you both natural eyes and I gave you spiritual eyes and you've only chosen to employ one. You know, it's so interesting in this particular passage because this is essentially a dichotomy. It's, it's one of the things where he gives us the natural and he gives us the spiritual and he says, you're only trying to do one and I've given you both. You need both. To be successful in my kingdom, you need both. You gotta have both pieces of the equation. You gotta have eyes to see. You need to use your spiritual eyes just like you use your natural eyes. I wanna give you um, a quick synopsis into our life just to bring this home a little bit, put a little reality, humanity, if you will, on this. This last week, we've been making a big family decision, uh, one that would affect all of us, parents, children, everything. It was kind of shared, as we're calling it, shared sacrifice. And so we've been praying through what to do. God, what do you have for us? And we've spent months, God, what is this? But it's, it's not, the, the heavens aren't, parting. There's, there's nothing obvious. There's no sign from heaven. So God, what do you want from us? And will you provide? And will you do what we believe? What, will, you, will you answer our prayers? And um, I was telling my husband, you know, sort of we, uh, we'd all committed to, to finalize a decision and to come to prayer. And so he, he came to me and he said, well, what do you feel? And so I started my conversation by listing off all of the reasons why I was just, it's an inconvenience and this is the prayer point and this is what I just don't know. And so he turned to me and he said, well, do you want to do it? And I said, well, yes, my default is yes, but I'm still praying on this and I'm, I'm still believing God for this and I just don't know how this is going to work out and this doesn't seem to add up right now and I just don't know. And he turned to me a second time and he said, do you want to do it? And essentially what he was asking me was, you are giving me the list of your natural eyes and ears. You are giving me the list 
of what we both see. You are giving me the reality of the story, but where are your spiritual eyes, Taisha? Now I'm standing before you and I don't know today how and when and where God will show up in this particular area of our family. But what I know is this, your natural eyes alone do not serve you. Your spiritual eyes, your spiritual ears. God, what do you hear in this situation? I know it looks like chaos. I know it looks like God's not showing up. I know it looks like the prayer hasn't been answered, but God, I hear and I sense in my spirit that you are up to something greater. Where are you? I need to see the Lord for, in his glory, in his way. There are things that we have that mark our life. I call them life markers. In fact, we've just taken a little time in our soul prosperity Bible study for the sisterhood and we've gone through some of these modules. There are things that mark our life. They slice, they seem to slice through time. Things that etch our soul, things that sit with us, life markers. And one of the activities that we have in this particular exercise is to identify those things that are kind of our highs, our lows, our peaks, our valleys. And, to, and, and just to identify and acknowledge how we draw close to the Lord during this process or reject him. And the truth is that each of us have this uh, responsibility, if you will, to draw close to the Lord in the highs and in the lows. But the choice is ours whether or not we see these life markers. Again, high highs, low lows. Whether or not we see them as things that are spiritual or only natural. Can I submit to you this morning that your best days and your worst days still have the thumbprint of God? The thing that you think about fondly and the thing you think about with tears in your eyes still have spiritual eyes and ears. It all has significance. It all gives us the opportunity to draw closer to the Lord. This is my prayer for us this morning, and I hope that you'll repeat it after me wherever you are. Lord, let me see what you see. And let me hear what you hear. Let me see what you see, God. And let me hear what you hear. I know this. If we hear God through any of the highs and the lows, we will be okay. The last thing that Jesus asked the disciples is uh, the very next question in the verse. It's in uh, verse 18 in the very end. He says this, And don't you remember? Why did Jesus ask his disciples that? The first thing that he asked them is, uh, do, are your hearts hardened? And the second thing he says, you have eyes to see and ears to hear, but you're, you're not using them. And then he says, and don't you remember? Why did he ask that? I believe it's an important question for us even today. I believe God is still asking you that question today. Don't you remember? Don't you remember the time where you were all alone, just you and me, you cried out to me, and you felt my source of comfort? Don't you remember the time where you earnestly sought my face, where you needed healing, where you needed mental clarity, where you needed some peace, and I showed up? Do you not remember the time where you called upon the name of the Lord, and there I was faithfully? Two chapters earlier, Jesus fed not 4,000, 5,000 
He fed greater than what he was doing in this moment. Two chapters earlier, in a different place, in a different city, in a different context, in a different circumstance, everything was different except the man that was there to break the bread and multiply food and fish the very things that the disciples had in their hands, the same man was there with the same people. And he says to them, do you not remember? This one hits me straight to my core because so often, let's be honest this morning, we forget the goodness of God. We forget it because it wasn't yesterday, because it wasn't 10 minutes ago. But God, it's slightly different now. But God, the thing that I'm praying for right now has this unique twist and it's not exactly the same. So will you answer this too? And the reason this grieves the heart of Jesus so badly is because he's sitting before his disciples in human flesh, in temporary form. He looks to them and looks at them like he did the, the, the Pharisees just a few minutes ago saying, my time here is short. I am only a man. I will only be with you a little while longer. If two chapters earlier, you cannot remember my goodness, what will you do when I'm no longer here? I need you to understand that although the little details might be different and the nuances might change, that I'm still God. I've always been faithful. I feed you daily. I make sure that regardless of if we're in the ministry at a mountaintop or remotely in the desert somewhere, that it is well with your soul. I need you to root yourself and understand that if you've got me, you've got it all. I say it like this. Jesus is asking us, and this is our charge today. This is our question today. Jesus is asking us, my son, my daughter, I need you to connect the dots. I need you to play chess. I need you to understand the interconnected nature of what I'm doing. I need to make sure that you know that I'm not doing these one-off wonders just because I'm in human form. I need you to connect the dots. I need you to weave the fabric. I need you to know, oh, he protected me when I was little. He, sa he kept me safe in my mother's womb when they considered abortion. He, he, he put my mind together when I thought I was gonna lose it in my youth. He made sure that I always uh, was safe and, and kept from harm. It might not have been perfect, but he kept me. And because he kept me, I can see his hand. I can see the fabric. I can connect the dots. This muscle has been exercised. I'm not going to second guess him now. Jesus is asking us in his time and in his teaching, please, do not be like these Pharisees and wait for the skies to open and wonders and, and signs all the time. I just need you to know in your soul that your fabric and weaving is connected, that if he did it already, he's doing it again, that his faithfulness does not change. See, Jesus' heart is so moved because he realizes in this moment that this continual exposure, the closeness that he has the way that he huddles up with his boys, the secrets that he tells them. This has resulted not in awe and significance and boldness and courage that the same Jesus can do all the things, but in different circumstances on different days. This is not the result of their faith. The result 
is a dullness, is an insensitivity, is a questioning of the ability, is, 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 is them coming to this place wondering, will he do it again? And I pray this morning, I pray this morning that when Jesus asks us this question, do you remember that we lean back on the understanding that we've had for all of these years, good and bad, and say, if not for the goodness of God, I would have lost my mind. Friend, whatever your story has been, wherever our natural bodies have taken us, the Lord God has never forsaken us. And regardless of how far you have walked away or the depths to which you have journeyed through, you are here today out of the faithfulness and goodness of God. And I don't know about you, but when God asks me these three questions, is your heart hard? Do you see? Do you comprehend? Can you hear? And do you remember? I want such a resounding yes to cry out in my voice. I want him to say, Taisha, you are not guilty of only seeing the body that I gave you as you live here on this earth, but with spiritual eyes. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would be guilty of having spiritual eyes in whatever you're journeying through. I wanna take a moment and pray for two groups of people this morning as we conclude our time. I feel strongly in this message that God wants to deliver to us a challenge to embrace spiritual eyes in all circumstances. And so this morning, if you would find yourself, regardless of how long or short you have journeyed with the Lord, in need of a spiritual perspective, a time where you would say, Pastor Ty, I have been approaching this with all my natural strength. I have thrown myself at it. I have exhausted myself with it in my mind, in my body, in the strategy, in the goals, in all the things, but I don't have spiritual eyes. And I wanna pray for you this morning before we conclude. I wanna pray for two groups of people, but I wanna pray for you first. If that's you, right where you are, as a sign of surrender just between you and God, will you lift your hands right where you are? God, I thank you in this moment. Your sons and daughters are rejecting what we see with our eyes and ears. God, let that not be how we make our decisions. Let what we see in the natural not dictate who you are to us. You have been too good. You have been too good. You have been too faithful. I pray instead for a spiritual exchange spiritualize in the name of Jesus. Now I said I wanted to pray for two groups of people, the second group, the second individual, and maybe this is you this morning, would say, Pastor Ty, I want spiritual eyes, so what do I do? What, how does that work? Do I, just, do I just do the thing? Do I just acknowledge what you just prayed? Well, no, friend, in order for you to have spiritual eyes, you have to have the spirit of the living God inside of you guiding you. We don't guide ourselves. That is not the mission. We rely on the one who created all things and who stands in the future to lead us in the way that he would have for us. 
We aren't just out here flailing and hoping that God will give us insight. We know that when God comes in on the inside of us and lives inside of us and seals us with his salvation, that we have the ability to hear from the Holy Spirit. Then and only then we have the eyes of the Spirit. If that's you and you would say, Pastor Ty, I am ready to have a relationship and an encounter with God. The first step in this journey is declaring that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that he died for you and that he rose again. When we make this declaration, the Bible says that is what is required for us to have a Holy Spirit exchange, meaning that the God of all creation comes to live inside of us. So I have a simple prayer. Will you pray it after me? Say, Jesus, I believe today that you died for me and you rose for me. And I'm declaring now that I am your child. I receive spiritual eyes as your child in Jesus name. Amen. Can you say amen to that? Come on, family. People got spiritual eyes. You got spiritual eyes. I got spiritual eyes today because of the goodness of God. And we've done it as a church family. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud to journey with you. And hey, I miss you. So I am so excited that I got the opportunity to be with you this morning. I love it so much. I hope that you'll engage with us on our new platform, the new platform where we can gather together and get this stream on Sunday mornings. We're so excited and working, by the way, behind the scenes to get all of the technology seamless. We're so excited and grateful for what God is doing. We also worship the Lord with our giving right here at the conclusion of our service. And this is our time not to give God like a little tip on the table like we do at the restaurant, but to say, God, I'm honoring you with the best of me. And so in the Bible, it's called first fruits. It means that we bring the best of us, the first part, the best part of our harvest. We bring it back to God and say, this is for you. You know, as Christians, as believers, we do this. The Bible instructs us that it's our first 10% or what we call a tithe. And in doing that, church family, we have been able to reach so many families for Jesus. Just a couple of months ago, we had thousands of people join us for our Easter services. We had so many families that have been touched, people that have been ministered to in the school where we meet on Sunday mornings. This continues and continues to continues to have the thumbprint of Jesus because of your generosity. I'm so happy to be a part of a church that has a generous heart because I know that we serve a generous God. So today you can give online at cityplacechurch.com backslash give and you can get that set up uh, there technologically. And I'll just give you one more quick prayer as we receive that online. Father, thank you for the spirit of generosity. Thank you for your people. Thank you that we have a heart that seeks to be like you, a spirit that flows out of abundance, because you first given to us, we won't forget. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. City Place Church, I love you. Have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for joining us. If you've been encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe to the City Place Church podcast. And we want to hear from you. Post a picture on any of your social media outlets with the hashtag City Place Church to be a part of the conversation. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.